terrible as it was what Jesus went through for those of us who have been redeemed and we understand that redemption's work was done at the cross, it is something very beautiful to us, isn't it? To know that our Lord Jesus gave his life on that cross for us. Thank you so much for the music this morning that has prepared us for the Word of God. It's great to see guests again with us this morning. It's good to see almost every chair filled. Look around you, uh, and I know that there are still a lot of people, there are a good number of people that are out sick, and you say, this is a problem. This is a good problem, um, and we will work through it, won't we? And we will find a way, because one thing we never want to do is not be able to minister to more people that God brings to us. Well, uh, for those of you that are maybe just joining us or you've only been here a time or two on Sunday mornings, we're going through the gospel of Mark verse by verse and we've made it to chapter four. So we find ourselves today in Mark chapter four. One of my pastor friends sent out a message this morning to a group of us that are friends and communicate together and he he gave us some very wise counsel he said men preach it straight preach it strong but whatever you do don't preach it too long and so I am going to try to try my best to take that counsel this morning and yet give us exactly what the Lord would have us to have from this text. For several weeks, we have been looking at really primarily Jesus has been dealing in a very harsh way with the Pharisees and, and the religious elite of his day. Jesus, in fact, listen, he reserved his harshest words for the religious elite Pharisees of his day. And even today in our churches, you can preach against the sins of the culture. You can preach about all of those things that our culture is doing wrong. And man, you will get amens. You might even get an applause here and there. But start to preach about religious pride. Start to preach about Phariseeism. Start to preach about people who actually add their man-made additions to the Word of God, and it gets very quiet in churches like that. (laughs) That was a good place for a good loud amen. It's true. And quite honestly, if if we'll all just kind of take off our halos for a second... Many of us who have grown up in church or have been in church for a long time, we struggle with this. We have a tendency to lean this way. And so Jesus has dealt very harshly with that group because they were against him. By the way, they're the ones who wanted to crucify him. And so now as we come to chapter 4, there's a definite shift in the focus of Jesus' teaching. Remember, great crowds are continuing to come to Jesus primarily to see his miracles and, yes, to hear him teach. And so the teaching ministry of Jesus really amps up as we come to verse number or chapter number 4. And what we see is that Jesus uses what we call parables. And today we see the first of those those parables. They are stories. It's fascinating to hear a story. In fact, when you start to, when you, when you start to tell a story, everybody kind of leans in a little bit closer and they're drawn in. There are people that are attracted to stories. Russell Conwell showed us this and proved it to be true when he told one particular story over 5,000 times and made millions of dollars telling the story that maybe some of you have heard called Acres of Diamonds. 
Acres of Diamonds is a story of a farmer in Africa who had heard that other African settlers had discovered diamond mines all over the country. And so he sold his little flea-bitten farm and he decided to go in search of these mines, these diamond mines. And after an endless search and never finding a single diamond, he finally tragically ended his own life. But the man who bought his little flea-bitten farm was down by the little stream one day and found something glistening in the water, which turned out to be one of the most expensive diamonds ever found in Africa. In fact, later came to find that he was sitting on Africa's, one of Africa's greatest diamond mines. And of course, the story there is that oftentimes we go looking for bigger and better things when we have great things right on us that God has entrusted us with. So Jesus takes now these, these parables and he begins to teach. Let's look at the first one. If you're able to physically stand for the reading of God's word, I'd ask you to do so. And we're going to read the whole parable. This, this sermon is going to take two weeks, so fear not. We're not going to get through all of it today. But we are going to get through, I do want to read through it because I want you to get the full understanding of it. And he, Jesus, began again to teach by the seaside and there was gathered unto him a great multitude so that he entered into a ship and he sat in the sea and the whole multitude was by the sea on the land. And he taught them many things by parables and he said unto them in his doctrine or in his teaching, hearken, behold, there went out a sower to sow. And it came to pass, as he sowed, some fell by the wayside, and the fowls of the air came and devoured it up. And some fell on stony ground, where it had not much earth, and immediately it sprang up, because it had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, it was scorched, and because it had no root, it withered away. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no fruit. And other fell on good ground. And did yield fruit that sprang up and increased and brought forth some 30, some 60, and some 100. And he said unto them, and here is a key phrase, he that hath ears to hear, let him hear. Would you say that with me? He that hath ears to hear, let him hear. And when he was alone, so the crowd's gone, now there's only a few there. When he was alone, they that were about him with the 12 asked of him, the parable, the meaning of the parable. And he said unto them, unto you it is given to know the mystery of the kingdom of God, but unto them that are without, all these things are done in parables, in stories that seeing they may see and not perceive, and hearing they may hear and not understand, lest at any time they should be converted and their sins should be forgiven them. And he said unto them, know ye not this parable? And how then will ye know all parables? The sower soweth, and here he goes to explain the parable that he just told. The sower soweth the word, and these are they by the wayside where the word is sown. But when they have heard, Satan cometh immediately, and he taketh away the word that was sown in their hearts. And these are they likewise which are sown on stony ground, who when they have heard the word, immediately receive it with gladness. And have no root in themselves, and so endure but for a time. Afterward, when affliction or persecution arises for the word's sake, immediately they're offended. 
for they go away. And these are they which are sown among thorns, such as hear the word. And the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches and the lust of other things entering in choke the word and it becometh unfruitful. And these are they which are sown on good ground, such as hear the word and receive it and bring forth fruit, some thirtyfold, some sixty and some a hundred. And listen, all of us that are here this morning, we want to be in that last category. We want to be good ground where the word of God takes root. And I would even ask you as we pray, to pray, God, let this word today fall on good ground, ready ground, good soil, soil that receives the word of God. This is the word of God. Let's pray. Father, again, as we submit ourselves underneath the authority of the scriptures, we pray that you will speak to our hearts and we pray that we will have ground in which the word of God will be able to go in and produce fruit. And we pray, Lord, if there's anyone here today who has never put their faith and trust in you, perhaps it's in religion or good works or anything else, we pray, Lord, that they would not just hear with their ears, but they would hear with their heart today. And we pray that the Spirit of God would draw them to himself today. And that they would put their faith in you. We pray for all of us that you would speak to us through your word. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. A great way to explain a parable is this. It's an earthly story with an eternal meaning. It's an earthly story with an eternal meaning. In fact, the word translated parable is the same prefix where we get the word parallel. Parallel. It it means to lay something beside something to compare it. So this is what Jesus is doing. He's taking an, an earthly situation, an earthly story, and he is laying it beside a spiritual truth so that by understanding the physical story, we can understand the spiritual truth. And there's three kinds of truths that Jesus wants to make clear through his parables. There is salvation truth, there is church truth, there is kingdom truth. And Jesus begins his parable teaching with a story about something that most everybody, especially in that day, understood, and that was sowing seed. The outline is very clear before us. The story gives us the outline. There is the seed There is the sower and there is the soil, and we're only going to get through two of them today. But Jesus begins his parable teaching with this story about sowing seed, and it kind of lays out for us the scene, doesn't it? The crowds are coming. You remember back in a chapter or two ago when the crowds were coming, Jesus told his disciples, hey, you better have a boat ready because there is a possibility that I will need to get into that boat and teach because of the crowds. Well, here's that's exactly what happens as we come to chapter 4. The crowds are pressing him, and so Jesus uh, gets into the first floating pulpit. This boat. And he sits, and he teaches the crowds. And perhaps, it's not in the scriptures, but we know that Jesus is using these illustrations. Perhaps just on the other side or in the distance, they're, they're literally seeing a, a live flannel graph where there is a farmer out sowing in a field. It certainly could be true near the waters. 
Regardless, he is giving them this very vivid story so that they can understand a spiritual truth. And he says this in verse number 9, He that hath ears to hear, let him hear. And this is where we get our title of this section, Are You Listening? Are you listening? Not just with your ears, but with your heart. Are you listening? When I was a boy, I remember sometimes that we lived on a farm and lived on a boy's home, which was a farm. And I remember that uh, my dad had started that, that boy's home, that farm, and, and dad wasn't a, a really big farmer. He bought this place because he wanted to reach young men with the gospel of Jesus Christ, and he wanted to teach them to work. And so he became friends with some local farmers. And I remember, Brother Tim, there were many times as just a little boy that we would jump into one of our neighbor's trucks, and we would go riding down those country roads. And back in those days, they did not have cell phones in the vehicles, but they did have fun toys called CBs. And there was all kinds of crazy things that you would say with CBs. Now, we didn't have one, but when my dad got into that truck, he became like a a little kid. And he would get on there and say all those things, breaker, breaker, one, nine, and uh, oh, you got to put good buddy on there too. Breaker, breaker, one, nine, good buddy, and, and 10, four. But I remember something that he said when he would get on the radio. He would say this, you got your ears on. Anybody out there got your ears on? You know what he was saying? He wasn't asking them, do they physically have ears on? He was asking them, is there anybody out there who can who can hear me? Is there anyone out there who is listening? And really, that is in essence what Jesus is saying right here as he begins to speak in parables. He is saying, are you listening? Let him that has ears to hear, let him hear. And look, at the, look what he says in verse number four. Look at the first word. Hearken. You know what that means? Listen. Listen carefully. Are you listening to me? How many of you as parents have ever said that to your children? Are you listening to me? How many of you as husbands have ever had your wives ask you, are you listening to me? We have. If you don't raise your hand, you're lying. (laughs) The altar's open at any time during the service. Why? Because a lot of times we have ears to hear, but we're not listening. We're, we're watching a ball game or we're doing something else. Or our mind's somewhere else. And we're not listening to what God truly has. So he says here, hearken, listen. And then he talks about this, this mystery. Why is Jesus teaching in parables? He tells us from the very onset here why he teaches in parables. And this may surprise some of you. But first of all, he says that he wants to reveal truth through the parables. Look at verse number 11. Unto you it is given to know the mystery of the kingdom of God. Again, he's talking here to a small group of followers. The, the large crowds have, have gone away. Most of, most of them who were there, not because they were really interested in knowing if Jesus was the Messiah, they had already made up their minds that he was not. They were either there to benefit from him or for entertainment. The Bible word mystery means this, something that is known by divine revelation. It is a spiritual truth. That we would never figure out with just human intellect alone. 
Something that the only way that we can know it would be for God to teach it to us. So he says, I'm I'm teaching in these parables to reveal truth to you. Remember, it's a small crowd. But then also, he says something very strange in verse 11 and 12. Not only does he teach in parables to reveal truth, but he also tells us that he teaches in parables to conceal truth. And you say, well, if I was writing the word of God, I would not have said that. Well, you didn't write the word of God, and neither did I. And we simply take the word of God as the word of God is. And this is exactly what Jesus says to us. Look in verse number 11 and 12. He said unto them, unto you it is given to know the mystery of the kingdom of God, but unto them that are without Remember, you got to think back to our context last week, and we'll get there in just a minute. But unto them that are without, all these things are done in parables, that seeing they may see and not perceive, and hearing they may hear and not understand, lest at any time they should be converted and their sins should be forgiven them. Why wouldn't Jesus want everyone to listen and to understand the truth? Well, as we saw in the last chapter, there are people who don't want to know the truth. There are people who have already made up their mind about the the truth. They don't care about the truth. There are people who have heard the truth and they have made the conclusion in their hearts that they reject it. And in fact, not only do they just reject it, but they are going to give their life to fighting the truth. These are the people that decided they were going to crucify Jesus. Remember back in chapter 3. What we just came out of, this is the religious elite that Jesus just rebuked. Why? Because they said this about Jesus, that basically he was a liar, that he didn't have his power because he was the son of God. He had his power because he was of Satan, remember? And Jesus said this to them, if this is your final conclusion as to who I am after having witnessed my supernatural power through the Holy Spirit, then you have indeed blasphemed the Holy Spirit and you are in danger of eternal damnation. This was the teaching of Jesus. Those who had begun to worship religion were by and large the ones who would not understand the parables of Jesus because they had made their final conclusion about him. They are people who have a predisposition against the truth. Remember who Jesus called to be his disciples? Not the the religious elite, not the Pharisees, not one of them. Not one of them. No, he called these misfits, these ordinary misfits to be his disciples, not because of what they were, Dr. Clark, but because of what he knew they would become. Because he knew that in their heart, It was not blocked by all the religious clothing and garb that was there that was blocking them. But there was soil there that would receive him as the son of God. And not just receive him as the son of God, but make it their mission to proclaim the gospel of God. He knew there was receptive soil. Why is it that some sit in the same services, in the same condition, And some respond in salvation. Some respond in dedicating their life to God. Some some respond in surrender and repentance. And some do not. This is what this parable teaches us. 
It has everything to do with the soil. With the soil. It's not the seed. Is the seed different? Well, we're going to get to that in just a moment. It is the soil. What Jesus, uh, when Jesus told a parable, on, on the one hand, to those who believed it was a revelation of grace to make spiritual truth clear, but on the other hand, understand this, to those who did not believe it was an act of judgment. Kind of like the declaration of judgment, much like when he called them whited sepulchers, vipers, snakes. Producers of the sons of hell, pronouncing judgment on them and on their whole system when he said, not one stone will be left upon another. The whole thing's coming down. Statements of judgment. And we see in verses 9 and 10 that only a few out of the large crowd truly understood. Let me remind you what the Bible makes very clear. Narrow is the path that leads to eternal life, and broad is the road that leads to destruction. We see that in this illustration, don't we? The crowds went away. The crowds had no interest in knowing, which I say to you this morning, if you're here, I'm getting ahead of myself just a little bit, but if you're here this morning and there is still a desire in your heart to know Jesus as your Savior, and you've never done that, I beg of you, while the soil is still good, while there's still that desire in your heart, respond to him. Don't put him off. Don't keep putting it off because we have no promise that that soil will always be tender to the seed that is given. God does not blind them because he delights in their destruction, but because of their conclusive choice of unbelief, they are blinded to the truth. And we see that so much in our society. People who have no understanding. You tell them the story of the gospel, there's, there's, no, there's no understanding there. There's no desire in their heart to know who Jesus is. Jesus gives us three things in the illustration, and we'll get through two of them, Lord willing, maybe just one. But we'll try to get through two of them this morning. First of all, I want you to see the seed, which is the word of God. Look again at verse number three. There went out a sower to do what? To sow. He's got to sow something. So look at verse 13 and 14 at the application of what the seed is. He said unto them, know ye not this parable, and how then will you know all parables? Then he gives us the answer to this. The sower soweth what? The word. The seed is... The Word of God. Each Sunday and each Wednesday when we stand up here and we open this book and we teach and we preach, what are we doing? We're sowing seed. We're we're throwing it out. And, And listen, we have an illustration of this in here. That seed is going to land on all kinds of different soil as it goes out. And determining how it will impact each of us is determined by the condition of our hearts and our soil. What is amazing about seed is that a seed has a germ of life in it, doesn't it? 
A seed is life-giving. A seed is alive. It brings life. And so listen this morning. The Word of God, the Bible, the Scriptures, what we have read this morning is not just another book. You may read a lot of books, but there's something very different about this book. It reads you. It reads me. It shows us our need. The Bible says this about it in Hebrews chapter 4 in verse 12. The word of God is quick. It is powerful. It is sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and the joints and marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts. Look at it. It is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of our heart. You don't just read it. I think it was C.S. Lewis that says reading the Bible is like looking into a peephole and finding someone else looking back through the peephole at you. That's what the Word of God does. It looks at us. Jesus said in John 6, 63, it is the spirit that quickeneth or makes alive. The flesh profiteth nothing. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are what? Life. First Peter, Peter says this, being born again, not of corruptible seed, not, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible seed. What is it? By the word of God, which what? Liveth, lives, and it abides forever. How about this one? Romans 10, 17. Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by what? The word of God. This seed is powerful because it is the word of God. It is powerful because it brings life. We have been given the word of God, but we also have been called to give the word of God, haven't we? If you've been reconciled, if the word of God, you've looked at the word of God, you've realized you're a sinner, you realized your need of a savior, you have been reconciled into a relationship with God, through your faith in Jesus Christ, which is the only way that you can be reconciled back to God. If you've done that, then the Bible says that we have been called to the ministry of reconciliation, to showing others how they too can be reconciled to God. You may have come in here this morning with ready and receptive hearts. You may have come in this morning saying, God, speak to me and Change me, but listen, if, if you did that and all I did was get up here this morning and tell you my opinion about politics and my opinion about what you need to do and what you don't need to do and the way you need to live and the way you don't need to live, but I don't give you the word of God, then that is seed that is just wasted seed. Has no life in it. There's no life in my opinion. But listen, what I'm giving you this morning is not my opinion, it is the word of God. And it is a seed that has life-giving power. The Word of God can change a life. The Word of God can change an eternal destiny. My opinion cannot do that. Maybe some of you have heard the, the story, read the story, or watched the film Road to Redemption. It is a story about Mitsuo Fashida and Jacob DeShazer. Mitsu, I'm going to try to say his right, his name right through this whole thing. 
Mitsuo Fushida was the Japanese squadron leader that bombed Pearl Harbor in 1941. Jacob DeShazer was the American lead commander in the Doolittle's bombers that retaliated by one year later bombing Tokyo in 1942. DeShazer was shot down during that bombing and he spent 32 months in a Japanese concentration camp in solitary confinement. He hated the Japanese. He had no problem retaliating and bringing to them what he was hoping to be a fiery death of those people for what they had done to Pearl Harbor. But in solitary confinement in that place, he found a Bible. And he began to read the Bible and a seed, listen, a seed was planted in his heart. And that hate that he had for the Japanese people, as he read the word of God, the Holy Spirit convicted him and he put his faith and trust in Jesus Christ and he became a believer and became a follower of Jesus Christ. And now all of a sudden, that hate for them had become a love that he had for those people. And he said this, God, if you'll ever allow me to go free, I will come back to the Japanese people and share with them the gospel of Jesus Christ. He did so. He came back to his people. There was a track written about his life. And one day someone handed a gospel track of his testimony. I'm sorry, of the testimony of Jake DeShazer. He handed it to Mitsuo Fushida, the man who had bombed Pearl Harbor. And he read it. And guess what? That, that seed from the word of God took root in his heart. And he came to faith in Jesus Christ. He said after he had read 30 pages, this is it. This is what I need. And he became a born-again follower of Jesus Christ. And and then he and Jake DeShazer, the one who had bombed Pearl Harbor and the one who had bombed Tokyo, worked together to tell the world about Jesus Christ. Say, how in the world... Because this seed has incredible power. It has power to change lives. It has power to change your hate into love. It has power to change your bitterness into forgiveness. It has power to literally change you from the inside out. This is why Paul would write in Romans 1 verse 16, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Why? Because it is the power of God and the salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. There's great power in this word. Listen, the power is not in your personality. The power is not in the position you hold. The power is in the seed that you throw out. It's in the seed that we plant. You can't produce a synthetic seed. Only God can can create the seed that gives life. We're born again by the word of truth. We're given eternal life by the word of truth. We proclaim the word. That is our calling. We see, first of all, the seed. And then quickly, secondly and lastly, we see the sower. The sower in this parable. First of all, the sower, the original sower, was Jesus. And then his followers. 
The seed has to be sown by a sower. If we will, somebody said this, if we will simply get the seed out of the barn, it will do something. Unfortunately, there's a lot of seed with a lot of power that's in a lot of the the barns of our church buildings. We have all the head knowledge. We know the gospel. We know what it can do. We've been transformed, but it stays in the barn. Listen, God's called us to get the seed out of the barn. To take it out of here into our community. To take it to the ends of the world. Jesus was the original sower. In Matthew's record of this very parable, it says this in Matthew 13, 37. He that soweth the good seed is the son of man. But then don't forget John 20, 21. Then said Jesus to them again, peace be unto you. As my father hath sent me, so send I We understand that we've been given this example of Jesus to follow. That's why we've entitled this whole series, Following Jesus. We're learning from the life of Jesus what it means to effectively live the Christian life. Speaking of Paul in Acts 9.15, it says this, But the Lord said unto him, Go thy way, for he is a chosen vessel unto me to do this, look, to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. You know what he's saying? The job that I have given Paul is to spread the seed of the gospel all throughout that region. And look at the different social statuses. To the rich, to the poor, to the kings, to the children of Israel, to the Gentiles. What good is the seed in the barn? Here's the truth, child of God, this morning. You say, I've been saved by the seed. Let me ask you, what are you doing with the seed? What are you doing with it? What good is it in the barn? What good is it if we just know it? We must sow the word of God. It must be put in the soil. Listen to what the psalmist said in Psalm 126 in verse 6. He that goeth forth and weeping. Let me, let me ask you, when was the last time you literally shed tears over somebody that you knew did not have eternal life in Jesus Christ? He that goeth forth and weeping, bearing precious, what? Seed shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing or carrying his sheaves with him. Listen, I am convinced of this, Brother Chuck. I am convinced of it. If we will plant enough seed, there will come forth fruit from that seed. Say, what's the problem? It does not seem like as many people are getting saved. That's true. And I will submit to you that it is also true that not as many people are getting the seed out of the barn. And if we were, more people would come to faith in Christ. There's no greater joy on the earth than planting the seed of God's word. You say, this is all great. We see this from the Bible. No, you go around, look around each section this morning in this church, and you will see people in the last two years that is an incredible story of what the word of God did to change their eternal destiny in their life. All over here. And I hate to embarrass them, but they're wonderful testimonies. There's three of them. They're all, they're all planted in the same section this morning, right there. They're all over. Just recently, a journalist in our town 
Those of you that are new, he, he, he came and he saw the, the, the body of Christ come together around a young man's death, a young man who had given his life literally to take the gospel to the ends of the earth at 19 years old. And he walked in here during a visitation and he saw what he had never seen before. He saw what, what John wrote about. By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples if you have love one for another. You see, Peter didn't care that day about exactly what we believed in our doctrine, but he saw something that attracted him to a church, and that was love that he saw that he had never seen before. And he came back, and he came back, and he heard the gospel, and the word of God planted in his heart and changed him completely. And I could tell that story over and over and over of people sitting in this. Listen, it's still happening today. We do not have an excuse that people just aren't listening. They're listening if we'll get the seed out of the barn. In fact, I found that since COVID, they're listening like they've never listened in my lifetime. I'm finding that they're more receptive of the cards that I give them than they've ever been before in my lifetime. The fact is, if we'll just be honest, and I know this is tough, but the fact is, is we're not planting the seed like we once did. It's convicting to me. That's why our challenge this year is, who are your ones? I'm changing it a little bit. Who are the ones? The ones that God's going to use. That's why I say everywhere you go, carry the cards with you. When you go through the drive-thru at Taco Bell, if you dare go through Taco Bell, then, then please, <laughs> at least, make it a worthwhile trip for something because it's not good for your body. But at least make it a worthwhile trip by sowing a little seed. If you go into tractor supply, Sow some seed. If you go into McDonald's, sow some seed. Wherever you go, Miss Deborah, when you're walking down the street on your daily walk, just spread some seed. Did you ever dream that it would fall on very tender ground? And then that person would plant seed and it would fall on very tender ground? This is the power of the seed. And God has called us to be the sowers. I will never forget as a boy seeing this lived out in my own dad's life. When I was eight years old, my dad started a church in Cleveland, Tennessee. And I would not take back the memories of those days for anything. We started in the conference room of a Holiday Inn. And I remember, Jason, on Sunday mornings, we would go in early because when we would get there, there would be from the night before beer bottles everywhere and it would be trashed and we would have to clean up and set up before we had church. And I remember walking in and, and thinking, and, and by the time we got ready for church, we all, this was before the days where smoking wasn't allowed, we all smelt like smoke which I read that in Daniel chapter 3, that they were in the fire and they didn't smell like smoke. And I think, man, we can't even walk into a restaurant. We smell like smoke. But I remember those days. And here's what I remember most. I remember those. we started those meetings and those prayer meetings. There walked in one day a lady. Her name was Shirley. She came by herself with her little daughter, Mary. And Shirley and Mary would come very, very quiet, hardly said anything. 
And they would sit in the rows and they would leave and they would come back on Wednesday night. I'll never forget as just a little boy, one time I thought, wow, Shirley's going to say something. On Wednesday night, she raised her hand for a prayer request. This is a lady I'd never heard talk before. She raised her hand and she said, would you pray for my husband, David? David was a former Navy man, rough, ragged, not saved. She had invited him to come to church with them many times. And he said, if you and Mary want to go to church, go ahead. But I'm not going to church. And my dad began to get a burden for this man. And I'll never forget that the first time that he went to visit him, he kicked him off. And I was with my dad, kicked us off the front porch, said, don't ever come back. Miss, uh, just lost her name, Shirley. Miss Shirley would come up to dad again on a Wednesday or Sunday and say, Brother Steve, would you go back one more time? Yeah, I'll go back. I remember numerous times that he would kick dad off the front porch and say, I told you, don't ever come back again. But there was one day that he went that that soil was different than before. It was ready for the word of God. And that man named David Lewis that day bowed his head there in front of his house and put his faith in Jesus Christ. He became one of the most faithful soul winners I had ever met in my life. By the way, his wife Shirley died of cancer. And he and my mother-in-law, Sue Lewis, married. And David was a member of our church for about a year before he went to be with the Lord. But that's the story of a man who someone just continued to plant the seed of the word of God. And I know what you're thinking. I've witnessed to them. I've planted seeds numerous times. Listen, we're not soil engineers. Some of you are like, what are you talking about? We're not called to find out if the soil is ready. If this is good soil. Oh, I just don't think that they're ready to receive my, my, my word, my seed. We're not called to be soil, soil engineers. Ethan, right? Austin. That's what Austin does, by the way. He's got a degree in it, so he is called to do that physically. <laughs> but spiritually, we're not called to be soil engineers. We're just called to plant the seed in all the kinds of different soil and leave it up to God, right? Leave it up to God. The ultimate end for which we live in the world is the proclamation of the gospel. We could summarize the Great Commission this way. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to everybody. Say, what if I witness to the wrong person and their soil is not? You can't witness to the wrong person. You're just supposed to spread the seed. Everything else in the Christian life, even our sanctification, is for one reason, to glorify God through the proclamation of the gospel so other people will see our life, be attracted to our Jesus, and put their faith in him. How shall they hear without a preacher? By the way, that doesn't just mean me. It means, how shall they hear without a proclaimer? 
How shall they hear without a sower? What good is the seed if it's left in the barn? Who's your one? Who is your one? Who are the ones that God is leading you to? Are you faithful to sow the seed? And let me say this this morning, and I'm done. As Noel says, you're the pastor of the most closings I've ever seen in my life. (laughs) This is my final closing. (laughs) If you're here this morning and you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, we've prayed for you this week. We've prayed for you this morning. We pray that you would receive the word of God. That you would receive the only truth that can give you eternal life. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says, It's not by our works of righteousness which we have done. It is by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. The only way you can have eternal life is like Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father but by me. There is salvation in no other. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you've never done that, he will save you today. And maybe that soil this morning is is good soil. I mean... It's accepting this word. I want to beg you today to make that the day, this the day, just as these folks did several weeks ago in our service when they put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Brandon and Sonia sitting right back here again this morning. And others have done. You can do that today. Would you bow your head and close your eyes? No one's looking except for me, and I will not embarrass you, but I do want to pray for you. I wonder if there's someone here, and you say, God has been dealing with my heart for some time. God has certainly spoken to my heart this day, this, today in the service. I do believe that Jesus is Messiah. I do believe that he is the Son of God. I do believe that only through faith in him can you have eternal life, and I am turning from Anything else that I've put my faith in, and I'm putting my faith in Jesus Christ alone today, you say, I've never done that before, but I want to do that today. Is there anyone here that would just raise your hand, say, that's me? We're not going to waste a lot of time, but if God's spoken to your heart this morning, and that's you, would you just raise your hand? Just raise your hand. The word has fallen on good ground today. I'm ready to receive. I'm ready to receive. Anyone like that this morning? I beg of you again not to wait too long. Not to wait. Don't put it off. Not promised another dealing like you're having this morning. How many of you as Christians this morning would say, God has spoken to my heart without a doubt this morning. I am not doing what I need to do as far as getting the seed out of the barn. Would you pray for me? Would you raise your hand and just be honest, church, that's me. I need to do more of it. 
This is an altar of surrender. And as Brian leads us this morning, let's stand together. As he leads us, Christians, why don't you just find, why don't you lead the way? Why don't you find a place? You say, I don't really come to the altar. That's not my thing. How about today making it your thing and surrendering this to the Lord and saying, hey, God, I want to be a better witness. Lord God, we do praise you. You're the only one worthy to be praised. We thank you for the presence of your spirit with us today. We pray, Lord, that you will continue your work in our hearts. We love you, but only because you first loved us. And we're thankful to be able to have a relationship with you and fellowship with you. And we pray that as we leave here, we will remember our responsibility to be spiritual farmers. So the seed of the word of God everywhere we go. And Lord, we do pray that the gospel will fall on good ground. Prepare the hearts of those that need to hear the gospel and then give us the courage to give it. We pray all this in Christ's precious and powerful name. And the church said, Amen.